Today, I'm inviting you to step into the shoes of a parent navigating a daunting journey. It's one that revolves around a loved one suffering from a rare condition. And it's a journey that's shared by more than 3 million Canadians. It's true that Canadians are proud of our nation's free access to healthcare, but how many know about a big, missing piece of the puzzle? Canada stands alone among developed nations in lacking a comprehensive strategy to support those with rare diseases and their families. Imagine being one in 12 Canadians who face a diagnosis of a rare disease. Two-thirds of them are children. You're left with questions, fears, and a maze of uncertainties, all while grappling with the overwhelming responsibility of caregiving. Hello, and welcome to I Care for Rare, a podcast for parents and families of people living with rare diseases in Ontario. I'm your host, Sherry Lynn Starkey. I Care for Rare is a social advocacy campaign designed to give individuals, families, and caregivers living with a rare disease a collective voice for system healthcare and community support reform. Welcome to the show. Joining me today on the call is Sandra Marcus, who is the force behind I Care for Rare. Hello, Sandra. Hi, Sherry Lynn. We are being joined by Carl Weatherall, who has a daughter, Alyssa, who has a rare condition. Thank you for joining us today, Carl. Thanks, Sherry Lynn. It's great to be here. Carl, can you share your experiences of navigating the healthcare system for Alyssa's rare through through diagnosis and treatment ongoing care? Yeah. So do we have three days? <laughs> the 30 second. Well, well, it's really, uh, it's interesting because um, Alyssa's primary diagnosis when she was, I think, nine months old was uh, seizure disorder without, without nailing it. If she's got a seizure disorder, she has epilepsy. Um, so, of course, she's put under the care of a neurologist. Uh, and we started going down that, that road. And then there happened to be a, a study that was being, being done in Australia to see if she had some sort of genetic mark. And that was back in 2005 or so. And it turns out she has this mutation in one of her genes, uh, which is common for with something called Dravet syndrome. And she was identified as having Dravet syndrome, which is good and bad. It's good because you know what it is. It's bad because you get put in a box. Mm -hmm. And that was a bit of a challenge, right? Getting put into that box. But she also had another, a number of other concomitant issues as well. So she had masses on her liver. She has dysautonomia, can't regulate her body temperature. Uh, we thought she had other, other things going on as well. She's got issues with her bones and back and, and scoliosis and learning disorders, uh, autistic. It's all these complications. So it's not just a seizure disorder. It's a seizure disorder plus a bunch of other stuff. And what we found was under the primary care of a neurologist is great, but we would have to end up getting uh, the various doctors together to, to actually talk about her condition, talk about how you can work at thing in an integrated fashion, which typically wasn't done, right? right. She'd be, she, yeah, she'd be hospitalized and, uh, it, so many times, right? She was, we used to have paramedics coming to the door like once a month, uh, putting her in the hospital at one point when she was, uh, 15, I think it was back in 2017, she was in the hospital for almost three months. Right, because she was coming off the ketogenic diet. Like nobody would explain things to us, so we actually had to read a lot on our own. Mm -hmm. So there's a there's a, a series of books, a comprehensive comprehensive treatise on epilepsy. There's three volumes. So I borrowed it from somebody I knew and read 
two to three volumes just to try and understand what's going on. Uh, and, and you of are course, a scientist, are you not? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> not practicing. I haven't not practiced practice. since anymore. But I was lucky to know, know, some, know some people uh-huh. that study yeah. seizures and this sort of stuff. So they lent me some of the volumes. Comprehensive Treatise on, on Epilepsy was named the volume. So read that, try and understand. Uh, she had some weird things going on. We actually were under the care of an oncologist looking at some of her blood work because it was weird. It was totally off, right? Didn't under, never seen it before, right? So, um, you know, in some of the reading I did, it sounded like there was an immune system challenge as well, right? Which is what we were seeing. Uh, and she wouldn't sweat until she was, I don't know how old, she wouldn't sweat. Uh, we couldn't take her outside too long because she'd just out in the sun too long. She couldn't control her body temperature. We'd have to put on cooling. Ve- we have the cooling vest that so you put ice packs in, keep her cool. Um, one summer, she wouldn't even, we, she can go outside all summer. Mm-hmm. Like she goes outside for five minutes and then she ends up having a status, like the seizures mm-hmm. that just you need to intervene in advance. And I should say too, some of her original status episodes, status epilepticus episodes were 90 minutes. You know, Gosh. You know a seizure, tonic-clonic seizures are, are, are life-threatening after five. Yeah. She was for 90. Uh-huh. But the, the whole thing, what, what was a bit strange for us is that, you know, like she's autistic, but because her primary diagno- diagnosis is epilepsy, then, you know, you can't benefit from anything for autistic kids because it's, it's her secondary, it's not even secondary diagnosis. Yeah. Primary, right? There was a, a group at, at the Children's Hospital of Eastern Ontario. It was actually really good, the, the um, complex care group. It was a new group set up and, and they were, they helped us get some of this integration going on. Wow. Um, with people, which, which is really good. Yeah, we'd we have to that. push, we had to push that quite a bit sometimes, but that, that really helped. And Dr. Major was really good. What we found bizarre was disconnects within the healthcare system. So one patient, um, we have a lot of, you know, you, you end up learning who all the people are, right? With kids, similar kids. And they'd see one doctor who does A, and our neurologist would do B, but not agree with A, and somebody else would be doing C. There's no consistency across the board, right? No consistency. When CBD became trendy, you know, the, our, our neurologist just said, no, don't bother. It's a waste of time. Nobody believes it. We went for second opinions at the sick kids in Toronto. And <laughs> It's, we show up the medical records, they never got them, they lost them. Mm, we we spent we spent hours and hours being interviewed about stuff. And the, the person that, that we saw was one of the top people in this field. And his response to us is, so what do you want? What do you want from me? <laughs> it's this sort of stuff we're running into. And it's like, I looked at it, I said, fix her. That's all we want. But it was just like the 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 godlike syndrome of some of these people. It's just unbelievable. It, it turned like we were going to write a letter to the college physicians and surgeons because we got treated like dog meat. It was terrible. Absolutely awful. And of course, we, you know, we, we saw an infectious disease guy there too. Like this is a seizure guy. And then we saw an infectious disease because of the, these results we got from the, from that the oncologist was looking at. Not because it listed cancer, but because, you know, it was blood, blood chemistries. They didn't get the paperwork either, which had some really interesting stuff on it. And you know what the diagnosis was? He came up, he smiled, clapped me on the shoulder, and said, "It's just bad luck." Like we're we're, we're dealing we're dealing with a child who's having never non-ending seizures. The life expectancy they weren't they weren't expected to live past four, right? So we got over the four-year-old hump, and we're like a sigh of relief. But I don't know how many times we're in 
we're in, in the recess room of Chiu and Martina and I'm rather half looking across the, the beds, wondering, are, is there three of us coming out of here today or two of us? Gosh. It happened so many times, it's not funny. And most people don't get it, right? Mm. The one thing that we found, uh, which, which is hilarious in summers, it's, it's black humor compared to <laughs> the connection to COVID is that we went through a study, we've been through many studies, and one of the studies was um, with a psychologist and a, and a epileptologist. And one of the, you know, they talked, they, they found that the stages that parents go through with kids with epilepsy, with Tourette syndrome, and one of the, one of the key findings I'll never forget is that parents, and it's probably the same for any parents with a child with any sort of rare disease or rare condition, is social isolation. All right. You get socially isolated because you spend so much time and effort focused on your child that you just haven't got time for other people. Right. And you don't want to socialize because you're exhausted because you haven't slept in days. Right. You just socially isolated. So when COVID came along and said, Oh, social isolation, people are hurting. I went out in the backyard and went, Yeah, now you know what it's like. (laughs) Now you know we've been living this for 20 years. Yeah. So so navigating the system has been a bit a bit challenging. Also, d- drugs, like uh, a lot of the drugs in, in seizure disorders are, I, I had somebody, I had a neurologist explain this to me once, is that there's more money in cancer. People will spend a lot of time trying to come up with cancer drugs. Seizure disorders, not a lot of money there. Mm. So there's even, even an epileptologist in the States that found a new, a new potential, really, really promising drug for seizure disorders. He couldn't get funding. He switched to cancer. He got lots of money. NIH in the States or whoever it was. Mm-hmm. So we've run in, into the challenge a couple of times where the meds are not covered. Mm-hmm. So one of the ones Alyssa was on was, and it, it takes 10 years, right? We're 10 years behind the States and getting drugs approved is brutal. Mm-hmm. Comes out of our own pocket. And one of them was steripental. Steripental and clobazam are the key mm-hmm. um, duo, dynamic duo for treating the Dravet syndrome. And steripental was not covered by any insurance refused and it was we were paying the equivalent of three mortgages out of our own pocket yeah come on it was brutal it was absolutely awful did it help oh it it was the best thing that could have that we had a couple of seizure free days and then finally finally got approved by health canada finally like after 10 friggin years and um then they just jacked the price up by a factor four because it was insured so people without insurance just get beat up but we run into this all the time. Clobazam's another one. There's shortages of Clobazam. There's Facebook groups, almost like black market drugs between parents because you can't get them in the stores, in the pharmacies. Gosh. They just run out. I actually met with an advocate for epilepsy with some senior people at Health Canada a number of years ago and talking about drug shortages. And their idea was, we'll just put them on a wall of shame. They don't care. No. So what? That's yeah, not going to exactly. help. Like there's just, there's a massive disconnect, massive disconnect. Yeah. The latest one, Benfluramine, right? It's another potential drug. And it's from what we've heard is $20,000 US a month uninsured. So, Alyssa, we were going down the, we we're involved in the trial and we, you know, we stopped the trial because it, it, it had a bad side effect, just not good. But in hindsight, it's good we did get out of it because we couldn't mm-hmm. afford it. Mm-hmm. And yet, other people, other kids are prescribed the med and have it covered. Like, what the hell? Yeah, exactly. What's going on? It's so inconsistent. It's not funny. You just yeah. shake your head and wonder, what. who should I talk to next? Yeah. Where do you think these inconsistencies lie? 
Oh, the health system is a, the healthcare system is really good if you have things that are routine. Can, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll be blunt. Cancer is kind of routine. Heart attack is routine. Stroke is routine. Hip replacement, knee replacements are routine. This stuff is routine, right? Uh, rare disease are not routine. No. Right? There are rare conditions, whatever the formal term is, they're not routine. That's the challenge. And people are just kind of stumbling their way through it. This neurologist I talked to years ago was saying like Duchenne's muscular dystrophy, for example, has what, 32 genes that have been identified related to that, right? So uh, in Alyssa's case with Dravet syndrome, there's there's likely more than one genetic anomaly, right? Mm-hmm. And yet the neurologist we had um, basically said, no, she's in a box. We're going to treat mm-hmm. the box. There's mm-hmm. nothing else. Why do you... We didn't even know Chio had had a um, neurogenetics group. We found it by accident. Oh, my gosh. Nerds, yeah. No, we, we weren't even told about it. And we actually went around our neurologist back to get her stuff, to, to actually get her uh, exome sequencing. Uh, we had to send out to the, we had to get ministry approval to send out to the U.S. for genetic yeah. testing. Yeah. And, and now there's another group in Toronto doing it. And, but still, the fact that you're in a box, there's only one, too bad, go away. Mm-hmm. It's really, this is another really cool one too. So a friend of mine is, uh, runs the Lennox Gestalt yep. uh, Association in the States. Oh, that's and, what Zach was diagnosed with at first. Yeah. And she, um, she basically got to, to help her, her daughter. She did her PhD in neuroscience mm-hmm. and used her daughter's, you know, blood work as the basis of her thesis. And it turns out she had nine genetic anomalies. Eight of which had nothing to do with Lennox Gestalt, or didn't seem to be have anything to do with Lennox Gestalt, and it was related to uh, calcium ion channel blockers, and uh, treated that, and the seizures dropped ninety percent. Wow! So yeah, so there, like this whole genetic work, there's, there's, <laughs> there's got to be more done here. Yeah, and, right there, and it's got to be more open because right now it's not open. You're in the box, go away. Yes, that's not and, the case. And my, my thinking is. Since we lived in the box for 18 years before diagnosis, we were running in the general developmental delay camp yep. with Lennox Gastow as the main epilepsy, yep. but neurologists just do, uh, checking for seizures, make sure the seizures are fine, but nothing else. Nope. Um, we have two drugs that are interacting with each other that cause behaviors. Yep. Yep. And there's a research paper now out on it. and. I've given that to people to kind of look at because we have a challenge with behaviors. Oh, it's um, in here. Yeah, and, and we the, can't and the get community behaviors. Yeah, exactly. But we can't get community care because yeah. of those behaviors. How are you guys doing with community care mm-hmm. access and support while you well you're still working? Yeah. Um, you know, it's how been, you... it's challenging. Let's take a little break for this important message. CORD is Canada's national network for organizations representing all those with rare disorders. Their mission is to provide a strong voice and to advocate for health policy and a healthcare system that works for those with rare disorders. CORD has been advocating with federal and provincial governments for years. CORD Canada's rare disease strategy lays out a five-point action plan. It starts with improving early detection and prevention. It goes to getting the right care to patients as early as possible. Then, enhance community support. Provide sustainable access to promising therapies. And finally, promote innovative research. Community support is a major part of this issue. 
A recent Ipsos report identified that caregivers are overwhelmed. Almost two-thirds of them say that they don't have access to a care coordinator, and more say that they didn't get much-needed counseling. More carers feel that they don't have enough information, and they don't know how to get it. And almost 90% agree that educational, disability, and employment services are not aware or informed about rare diseases. The research identified a real need for specialized centers with local healthcare professionals to reach all patients wherever they live in Canada. I Care for Rare is asking Ontario governments to amend the Health Protection and Promotion Act and immediately adopt the recommendation set out in CORD's Rare Disease Strategy as presented originally in 2017. And now let's get back to our conversation with today's guest, Carl Weatherall, along with Sandra Marcus. So we've been fortunate because, um, and Alyssa is a bit different. She's mobile. Like she can walk in her own. She's not wheelchair bound Good, and she yeah. can talk and she still has seizures. Like she has a hundred seizures a day. Oh gosh. Right. Um, on, on the weekend, it was, yeah, probably a couple of hundred on Saturday. And this has been going on, going on for 10 years. We've been fortunate that we have a, have a, we found a caregiver that takes her now that Martinez retired every day. Oh, takes geez. Her every takes How her long every did day. it take you to find somebody? <laughs> we found it by accident. We had somebody else yeah. who left. And then we, it, we just stumbled. It was by accident. But in terms of the community, we tried all sorts of things, like a group that's affiliated with CHEO just to get respite care. And it took a long time, like it, the, the process and everything. And then we're supposed to do a test, right? And uh, you know, do it uh, an overnighter, right? One overnight. And then the person that ran the um, the facility basically turned around and said, "Oh, she can't come here if she potentially gets upset and cries the day before. Like she was supposed to go there Friday. This is Thursday. Sorry, she can't come in after spending a year trying to go through this stuff." Yeah. We've looked at group homes, and um, one group home we looked at, it was really good. We knew the people quite well. And uh, because Alyssa's 21, and mm-hmm. we're not young spring chickens, it's harder and harder to deal it with. It is, yeah. And they basically said, well, who's going to pay for it? I said, well, what do you mean? I thought it's covered. I said, no, well, how much does it cost? Back then, this was about seven years ago, pre-COVID, it was $250,000 a year that we'd have to pay for in a private group. Yeah, now it's closer to five, six hundred thousand a year. Well, there's uh, something that I think Canadians have no idea about. No, they don't. They have no clue. And even and it's funny, we've gone through this whole there's whole groups of advocates, you know, let's let's do different business models and get parents together and do this and do that and get a house or yeah. or you know, give your house to your kids. That's not the issue. That's easy. The hard part is the cost of PSWs on a daily basis, 24-7. That's the problem. And people just don't seem to get it. Well, and they're all right? contract workers, most of them. The, the good ones, yeah, it's just, yeah. And they're, yeah. yeah, we can't have a PSW because they just um, look after Zach. We need a DSW who knows how to handle the behaviors. Yeah. 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 And then so D, the, D, D and a P, so what? Like, yeah, well, they don't they don't have programs for the D, uh, um, and uh, so PSWs won't service us because yeah. the Zach swears. Yeah, um, you know because they won't come it's into ridiculous. the home. Yeah, and they're it's yeah they just have stupid. no uh, capability of 
even when I finally said, okay, let's try the shower. Okay. They, the guy showed up on the doorstep to give him a shower. And I'm like, well, you can't just come. <laughs> I need to introduce you to him first. And then we have a slow sort of, you know, he's been assaulted in his home by a worker. He's, yeah. you know, he has transition. There's a transition. Transitions. Oh my God, are brutal. Yeah. Him. People don't get it. So, no. so the journey going down like supports and stuff and even the camps, like, uh, yeah. like some of the camps are because uh, she, she's been labeled as one in one care. Yeah. It's like $400 a day. It's like mm-hmm. we're retard out of your own pocket. Mm-hmm. Like it's absolutely crazy. Yeah. So it's funny. We were asking people, we went started going down this journey looking, looking for a group home for less in, in the longer term. And somebody hooked me up with a, a parent who went down this journey with her daughter. And we heard this three times. You know, we, they, they told us the best thing to do, the best option we have. Are you ready for this? Get your daughter checked into Chio and abandon her. That's what three people told us. That's the best option you have to get her placed. Yeah. Abandon your kid. Yep. You hand your kid over to the government at 18. Yep. It wasn't quite that. Got her checked in the hospital and then they placed her and she was, you know, I don't know if she's actually charged. The police were there and everything else. How dare you? What are you doing? She said, I can't do this anymore. There's nothing. People do not understand. She ended up getting her daughter placed. But even even people who are running homes like this are saying that it's becoming the routine. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've been told that some hospitals won't check kids in who they know are, are a challenge because they're afraid the parents are going to leave them. Mm. Like it, it is awful. I, it is I terrible. Can, I can relate though. I'm yeah. exhausted. I have yeah. one more day of battling with Zach. Like I have yeah. to put my armor on when I get up in the morning. I'm just yeah. so friggin' exhausted. Um, you know, even making the beds and doing the laundry and yeah. making sure he's fed. Yep. Like, it's just. It's nonstop. And then when you, like in Alyssa's case, she'll, like, she'll have seizures. She'll be sitting there walking her somewhere. Can't walk very well because she's got pronated feet and knees. Yeah. And we have a walker in the house now. But if she has a seizure, then. <laughs> or or she typically has a seizure sitting in the washroom, in the washroom and you have to physically carry yeah. her to her bed. Yeah. And like the, these kids are over a hundred pounds. Gosh, yeah. Like it's, it's Mine's not over easy. Two. <laughs> yeah. He's yeah. a big boy. <laughs> but it's, it's not easy. It is not easy. And, and there's just no place for these kids. And they I just want to hammer this point home. All these ideas about, well, you just find a house and find roommates. Our kids are special. None of that stuff applies to them. And, you know, I'm, I'm retiring early so I can try and figure out what we can do. Because mm-hmm. yeah. five years now, we won't be able to care for her. Yeah. Like, How's your I, wife I doing we, with all of this? Not bad. Not too bad. Because she retired and Alyssa's out of the door. She's actually goes to a rotary, uh, rotary program now. Oh, and nice. She calls it school three days a week. Oh, good. I can't get that. So we, we, weren't too, we weren't too sure. She normally doesn't participate. She go to these programs and she just, we pulled her other programs because she didn't like it. Because some of the workers there just strap her in a chair and do this and she doesn't like it and trigger seizures. So, but the rotary, she seems to enjoy it. Good. Cross her fingers. Cross fingers. um, So because Martina's off now, it's less. Like I just got back for two weeks in Australia for business and she was okay with being at home with less. It wasn't easy. No. Like with seizures and everything else, but you have downtime during the day. Yeah. Right. Because you're retired. So, yeah. but before so it's, it's, she it's was bad. retired, 
Oh, before, before it was, I, I wouldn't travel more than three days. Yeah. I just like the, the business was suffering because I couldn't travel. Yeah. Yeah. And then you do these things, you're totally exhausted. You know, I was doing oh. stuff four in the morning from Chio, for God's sakes, because yeah. she was hospitalized and it did, people don't get it. They just no. don't understand. No. And the system doesn't, like the medical system is just, anyway, for kids like this, it's a, it's a nightmare. It Whether is. it's drugs, drug access, all this sort of stuff, I've already gone down through a, a few of those. Housing, yeah. like it's it's terrible. Education, it's, services edu- being delivered through the school. Oh, don't even go there. Her yeah. school, some schools I hear are great, but her school, we, oh, that's the other piece too. You're right. <laughs> Didn't mm-hmm. really ask me, you brought it up. The school system and, and we were in the um, Catholic system and the last mm-hmm. school, she. it depends on the school and the teacher. Teacher was great. The principal was so offended by what the school board was doing, you know, called me from his home and said, I'm so sorry, I couldn't help. But this is what we have to deal with. Like the school board was just taking the A's away. Mm-hmm. Because all kids are this, every kid is unique, but they treat they, them all the same. Yeah, yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. Well, these kids deserve, deserve a, a quality of life that, you know, the they're school- just not getting. Well, the school board, it's, the, mm-hmm. it's not the schools, it's the school boards because mm-hmm. they're yeah, we met with them several times. They just, it was a waste of time. Mm-hmm. Because we were in the Catholic system, they were done early. Yeah. So I paid like $25,000 just for after school care for a year. Oh, wow. Yeah. So there was like, he's home by, he we lived close to the school. So he was home by 2.30. Yeah. You know, yeah. and then you know, the odd Saturday. But by the time you add that up over the course it, of the year, it was 25 grand. It's not cheap. Yep. yep. And we had a and caregiver. Then, the driver would deliver the, the caregiver's house if we had one. If not, it'd be here. Mm-hmm. But the, the, again, the school system, they just don't understand. The school board does not understand this. I was reading all the policies because they were re- reciting policies that didn't exist. Mm. When, when you have to hire an advocate to help navigate the school yes. system, that's a problem. Well, that's the same with complex care, right? Oh, when you oh, have to yeah. hire people, there's an industry to service the yeah. inefficiency. <laughs> well, you create, a whole, you create a whole industry around it. Exactly. That's a, yeah, you create an industry to help people like yeah. us navigate through it. Yeah. But it's really funny. I just wanted to go back to that story about the Lennox Cassette and, and calcium because we're pushing like the, you know, we're convinced there's something else going on. It's not just Dravet syndrome. There's something, there's mm-hmm. got to be something else. And everybody said, no, 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 she's in the box. So I actually got a paper by this woman. That was presented to the American Epilepsy Society back in 2014 or 12 or something like that, that identified here's the challenges, right? And we're meeting with Alyssa's cardiologist because she has heart challenges too, mm. uh, long QT and a few other things. And I was asking about this. This is where we found out about the, we found out about the neurogenetics group in cardiology by accident. Mm. Right. So I brought that paper and said, we think there's something else going on. What do you think? He looked at it and just threw it back across the table. So there's nothing relevant here. It's a paper in a, in a recognized journal. He just kind of says, yeah, whatever. Toss it back in her face. It's like, really? Uh, are you, do you experience any anger? <laughs> are you Frustration. angry? Frustration. 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 Just, just shake your head. Yeah. You just shake your head and go, how do these, yeah, it's just unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. Sandra, do you get this new legislation that uh, you're advocating to be brought in is going to help address any of these issues? So once we're rare disease is recognized as a thing, 
<laughs> yeah. Um, because nobody, like I was saying, I wouldn't even have classified Zach under a rare disease yep. category. Um, if it's the closest piece that we can get to reform. And so if it's not brought into legislation every time a political party changes, they can choose not to deal with it. Yep. Just like exactly. this current party has chosen. This is nonpartisan. But the current party has chosen to ignore the report since 2018. In 2016, I think the ombudsman wrote a report or 15 that the time is now. Yeah. <laughs> this is two, this is 10 years later, and we're freaking exhausted. So yes, I do. I do feel that putting this into uh, making this legis part of the legislation uh, helps our families get, get access trickle down is going to be the harder part because yes. legislations you know once that's done it's still putting it into operations right um, that's yes, that's where I some did. of the challenges could yeah. could happen i and, did and, see uh, the plan a, a good, from the working group yeah well it, again it just the hospital you're dealing mm -hmm. with hospitals you're dealing with all sorts of stuff you're doing and health canada's got you know like all, all the drugs are approved by health canada which is federal and there's anyway it's just a bit of a mess yeah the other challenge we ran into with this stuff too is when you're transitioning, right? From child. Well, that's care where we ran into the care. challenge, the real challenge. Like the other stuff I could deal with, he was in school. Yeah. Most of the time until they called me. Um, <laughs> yeah. Once a whatever. Week. He was in school. I had a bit of a break. I could be me, but yeah. this transition, uh, graduation during the pandemic, if these things had been in place, he would have maybe had a spot somewhere or something yep. so that we had lined up transportation, a day program, a physical fitness program, all for the course of a week with transportation to all of these places, the worker left. Yeah. Yeah. And the stack came falling down, start all over yep. again. Yep. You know? And that's but, the thing you find the B, there's a shortage of P and DSWs everywhere, mm -hmm. a massive shortage. And we've, I don't know how many we've gone through. Mm -hmm. Because you get one and, and they're doing it through an agency and then they get a full-time job in a school and they go. Yes, and then, they all want to be in the schools. Yep. Yeah. And then Alyssa gets attached to people and they leave yes. and then you get somebody new and it takes a month and then they leave and then that, that, it's just nonstop. It's nonstop. And there's a shortage. There's a shortage of them. Yeah. And having to manage them. Like we yeah. pay pay for them, we submit contracts, the invoices, the stuff. contracts, well, the care. <laughs> well, that's the thing too. Is is this this family managed home home care system plus the ODSP plus the what's the other one? I can't remember the name of it, the D something. It, it's just DSO plus yeah. plus plus. It, it it's sliced and diced like it's for your kid, but different agencies, therefore different contracts. Then yeah. if you don't know anything about you're reading thirty page legal contracts. You don't know anything about that. You got to hire somebody. Yeah. Parents are set, 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 set up your own business, basically exactly to run it. this. And it's like insanity. It is insanity. Yeah. I just, I, I shake my head at this stuff. Carl, if you could wave a magic wand and fix it, what would it look like? Oh, that's a good question. Well, Alyssa wouldn't have this condition. That's <laughs> it's that's that's a magic wand. Yeah. But the, kid, the kids are the, our kids are treated just like anybody else in the system. Like if as if they broke a leg, right? It should be the same thing. But it's it's yeah, it's just not. It's not. It's uh, not. They, they straddle both healthcare and community care, and uh, they straddle everything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so many ministries, separate ministries, yeah. Oh, they don't um, talk to each other, and then hos even hospitals. Like, the thing with yeah. Alyssa, it was brutal when we transitioned. 
we contacted the the adult hospital and because if she has an emergency they need to she has allergies they need to know what the treatment is and we checked with their adult hospital so we have no records nothing was transferred Uh, anyway sorry sorry but you you asked you asked the question magic wand is is the kids our kids need to be treated like anybody else you need to have consistency across the board consistency in terms of of care they're not in a box get rid of the box yeah. uh, expand the genetic testing for diagnosis because mm-hmm. right now you've got to have a special research project through a university to get it done it should be routine mm-hmm. like why is mm-hmm. this so difficult or you pay for it yourself i was told to go down the states and do it ourselves because you pay 10 grand to do it yourself instead of waiting six years drug approvals like drug approvals are we're 10 years behind the states like yeah. if it's steropentol is one finfluramine some people get it some people don't if it's approved you're on your own you've got to lobby government for it and there's a whole host of new drugs that are coming up now we just we're not doing this we're not doing this mm-hmm. right we're, we're so far behind so there's a lot of things that need to be equalized and and made consistent because mm-hmm. they're not consistent the biggest the biggest one for us because Alyssa is older, is is group home yeah. care. Yeah. Because like the way it's looking, she's going to be living with us until we die in her house. Yeah, same with us. That's the reality. Or we partner and make our own house and do our but own services. But then you services. still need to find the people. And then, yeah, exactly. But they're asking us, the province is asking us to run a business again. And On we still of, have to find the people. Exactly. And the money, who's going to pay for it? Exactly. And you have to put in a proposal to try and get money to run it. And then you're, you're doing ex- it's just, it, it's yeah. not sustainable. Yeah. So Carl, a lot of these diseases I say are new and, you know, as a mom, I had a lot of guilt, uh, not knowing, you know, uh, yeah. until he was 18. Uh, we just kind of assumed he had a seizure disorder, but you know, what could I have done differently? What could I, you know, not having any diagnosis. Yeah. And living in a world of autism <laughs> that we weren't qualified for uh, because he had a sense of humor was what yeah. we were told. When I think of all the, the stuff that we do, we've, we've been through, to think that these are, and when I got the news of his diagnosis was de novo, I think not just of me, I think of everybody else who's pregnant yeah. in the world. Yeah. And the, the lottery that we won, quite yeah. frankly, and the first sentence out of the report is, there's nothing you could have done. This was a missing protein at the time of conception. And uh, yeah, if there, if testing was opened up and we started, I think the population would just, their, their jaws would drop in terms of the rare disorders that are out there undiagnosed at this point. Thank you for joining us on I Care for Rare, where we delve into the often hidden world of rare diseases and the challenges faced by Canadian families because a comprehensive strategy is missing from the healthcare landscape. Thank you to our guest, Carl Weatherall, for sharing the story of his family's battle to get the treatment that his daughter Alyssa needs. I Care for Rare aims to unite individuals, families, and caregivers, amplifying their collective voice for healthcare and community support reform. If you have a story to share, a perspective to add, or if you are seeking support, please reach out to us. Together, we can drive awareness, advocate for change, and create a world where rare is recognized, understood, and supported. I Care for Rare makes advocacy easy. 
please visit our website to sign a petition in support of Bill 129 to implement the recommendations of the Rare Disease Working Group Report. You'll also find letters demanding action that you can download and send to government officials. Please see the show notes for a link to our website. And please share a link to this show with someone that you feel can benefit from hearing Carl's and Sandra's stories. Please leave us a rating or a review wherever you get your podcast. This will help others who need us to find our show. Thank you for listening. I'm your host, Sherry Lynn Starkey, and this is I Care for Rare. I Care for Rare is asking the Ontario government to amend. I Care for Rare is asking the.